Osiris. Hey everyone, it's Cam Hurt, host of the Best Show Ever podcast, and we have got a second season coming out very soon that I am very excited about. We've got some very cool special guests, including musical acts that we all love, like Karina Reichman, Daniel Donato, Jake Brownstein from Eggy, Rick and Peter from Goose, and many more. Tune in for new episodes dropping on Osiris Media March 5th on the Best Show Ever podcast. You're listening to The Show on the Road, a new podcast where I interview songwriters, band leaders, and musicians from around the world. My name is Zach Lubiton. The Show on the Road is sponsored by Nomad, the tech accessory company that specializes in high-quality leather and ruggedly engineered accessories, batteries, cases, and cords that keep your gizmos charged, protected, and ready to rock. I'm currently using their Kevlar fiber iPhone cable and mobile power pack, and they saved me on a long flight to Europe recently. They're super sweet. Not only do Nomad's products look awesome, they're built to last, and this is pretty cool too. Their leather products come from the historic Horween Tannery in my hometown of Chicago, the same place that makes the leather on NBA's basketballs. Go to www.hellonomad.com BGS and put in the discount code BGS to receive 15% off until the end of January. Try getting your friends holiday gifts they will actually use. Nomad, designed for adventure. I've always wanted to try one of these little ads in the air. This week in the show, Birds of Chicago. Look, if you've hung out with me at a music festival recently or texted me, who should I listen to right now? You've probably heard me yelling at the top of my lungs to listen to these guys. I'm just going to come out and say it. I think Birds of Chicago are one of the most underrated powerhouse bands in the thriving Americana scene today. Built around the electric energy of husband and wife duo Allison Russell and JT Nero, these guys cook up a special brew of soulful rock and roll and goosebump-raising secular gospel music that is a much-needed shot of pure positive energy in these dark times. I first spotted them at a couple music festivals up in Canada, and I saw Allie commanding the stage. It was like watching a supernova glowing in space. She plays the banjo, she plays the clarinet, she sings in French, and JT meets her starry intensity right there in the stratosphere with his ominous Rod Stewart growl and expert guitar rumble. I had them over to my place for breakfast a few months back, and we talked about Allie's wild childhood in Montreal, their slow motion falling in love back in the Windy City, and how they now balance marriage and long touring schedules with their adorable four-year-old in tow. Let's hear it from them right now, Birds of Chicago. I'm here with Birds of Chicago. We're here with J.T. Nero and his lovely wife, Allie. Hello. What up, Z? Are you enjoying uh, the California weather right now? Yes, it's so idyllic and perfect and sunny, yet not too hot. Um, it's really great. <laughs> I, feel, I feel like... We, uh, we don't have to whisper. No, no, there's something about uh, the, the way we're all sort of hunched into this mic. I feel like we should have a... Uh, In the back of my closet. A, 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 a blanket over with a flashlight on. <laughs> Uh, we can play fork if tell you want. Tell ghost stories. Everything feels very conspiratorial now, which may be, may be what you're trying to, exactly the mood. That is. Trying to get going. We're about to tell each other secrets. I feel like I have to reveal something immediately. <laughs> uh, let's, let's reveal things. Right. Um, I'm curious. You said, uh, I read something somewhere that uh, your new record, Love in Wartime, just came out, that you guys were in a nervy, restless state to release it. Yeah, I think that was the piece in the New Yorker, but... Uh, <laughs> there wasn't a piece in the New Yorker. Uh, uh, New Yorker, are you listening? <laughs> um, 
Why were you so nervy and restless? It just took a while between when we recorded it and when it was finally released into the world. I'm sure you've been through a similar When did you guys start recording it? We did it very quickly. We did it actually, it began on Inauguration Day. It's a good time to get out yeah, some yeah. some musical frustrations. Yeah, we had some frustrations to get to, to exercise, and it, we did it in four days, basically three wow. days of three tracking. days of tracking, three days, yeah. um, with our friend Luther Dickinson, uh, kind of being the outside ears. He co-produced it with JT, and everything was pretty well recorded live um, at Steve Albini's Electrical Audio Studio in Chicago, which is a fabulous room, Studio A. Studio A. And uh, so they were kind of like burning a hole in your pocket, those songs, for good almost two yeah. years. Yeah, we were. Or a year and a half? Yeah, I think a couple like were late breakers, a couple were really new, but some of them we'd been playing for a while. Yeah, yeah I feel like maybe, yeah, like a year and a half, maybe. Um, in fact, I think maybe one of the. I have some memory of actually playing Genghis Khan in LA and you being there, like when a few of those songs were like just brand new and, and playing them for the first time. Really so. solid uh, General Sal's chicken there. <laughs> I, I have a big place in my heart for that spot, actually. Uh, um, it's really, really nice to be able to play a little showcase um, and in a place run by friendly people, and then you just sort of walk over and, and have Chinese food uh, on the same spot. It's great. Did I say it's great too loud? You can I think we can all talk louder. We can all talk louder. Yeah. Okay. Are we being too soft? You were being too conspiratorial. <laughs> this sounds like <laughs> whispered We're confessions. We're not precious people. You know? <laughs> We're not, no. <laughs> yeah, so that album is super timely. And it's funny how songs sometimes that have been gestating for years there's a reason they come out at a certain yeah. time, maybe, yeah. you know, in the universe. Yeah. Um, you know, it always reminds me of uh Yankee Hotel Foxtrot, the Wilco album that, oh, that couldn't one. find yeah. a home anywhere, and it finally came out like on 9 11. Exactly. You know, the ashes of the American flags. And yeah. it's like, did you guys know this was happening? Yeah. yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think um, the, the, the things that we were wrestling with on Love and Wartime, you know, they're the things that all of us wrestle with all the time. You know, I just I felt like the, uh, the urgency just ratcheted it up a little bit. We were in L.A. together, uh, not together, but in the same place uh, on 4th of July, and you experienced the complete mayhem of L.A.'s fireworks <laughs> displays of the illegal sort. Uh, and all these people kept writing on, on Facebook that was like, it sounds like World War III, yeah. right? My question to you is, if World War III was about to break out within 24 hours, what, was the, what would be the first thing that you guys would do? Well, we'd get to our daughter. I guess that would be the first thing we would do. What's your daughter's name again? Her name is Ida. Ida Maeve. Ida Maeve. She's been on the road with us her whole life, but this is the first summer where she's old enough to have an opinion, and she chose not to get on the planes and in the automobiles. And yeah, she's having a summer um, with her with her grandparents and her cousins up in Door County, Wisconsin. But I think if I thought World War III was about to break out, I would just need to get get back to her immediately. I feel like there's a lot of uh, interesting push and pull in your song, especially from American Flowers and then now your Love and Wartime release, uh, which were kind of companion pieces. They came mm-hmm. out about mm-hmm. you know five months apart. Yeah. Um, and the idea of 
having hope and especially in like the next generation, yeah. especially uh, I'm curious with a young daughter. Yeah. Um, do you guys have more hope than concern for, you know, her as an adult? Sure. Well, I mean, let me say first off, one of the things that I love about songwriting and song cycles is maybe as opposed to, you know, some other form of writing is that you don't have to develop an organized emotional position in fact your 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 duty i think is just to like be honest to the ebb and flow of that so in 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 one song you know hope hope wins the day and you end up feeling pretty good uh, you know, all right, all right. Got we got through that song, feeling <laughs> feeling like we're gonna be all right. How does the chorus then, go in that? Uh, we're all right. Yeah, we're all right. Kids they're are all right. right. Yeah, they're, they're all right. right. Hey, uh, mama, hey, hey mama, hey pop, get your mind, mind right. right. Cause we're all right. We're all right. Same as it was. Same as it was. No new enemy under the sun. Oh, let them come. Oh, let them come. Yeah, they're gonna run when they see the love in our eyes. And more than that, I feel like we're in an unprecedented time of feeling like we're in crisis and that everything is worse than it ever was. When in fact, when you start breaking things down historically and statistically, that's patently false. Yeah, it's the safest we've ever safest been. Safest yeah. we've ever been. And it's fascinating. Like, we, it was no safe, it was considerably less safe when I was a child in the, in the 80s and 90s. And there was when none you of were the same. Children in the 80s and 90s. In the, in the 90s, yes. <laughs> you have a, and you have a pretty uh, unique background and upbringing can you tell us a little about that my background yes. upbringing oh well i am canadian and i was born and raised in montreal and let's see my mom was a baby when she had me you know very young six seventeen and i guess i had a french canadian foster family for a few years and then my mother got married to a really creepy older man, and I lived with them for a while, and he was pretty abusive, so I ran away from home when I was really young, wow. 15, 14, 15. Um, but I was very lucky to make a lot of good friends and um, kind of found music or music This is in me. Quebec? Mm-hmm, Montreal, Quebec. And then I moved out to Vancouver, British Columbia, when I was about 17, and I started playing music publicly there. When did you first start my writing? First, write my first song. Yeah, I kind of always hummed little melodies and wrote. Things. I was very, very, extremely, deeply geeky kid, and I would make up songs to melodies to all of the poems in Lord of the Rings oh. and The Hobbit <laughs> and Our, Lord Alfred Tennyson poems. Do any of those still exist? <laughs> um, yeah, I probably I I've probably got some something in my memory bank somewhere from that time. But yeah, I was really obsessed with uh, a lot of lyrical poetry and and fantasy literature and things like that. I was a pretty escapist kid, I guess you could say. And you were bilingual. Yeah. Elvish. Yeah. <laughs> and, and Klingon. <laughs> I never learned I never went that far. I never learned Klingon. <laughs> but you did uh, learn Elvish. I, I didn't learn Don't, it. There's, there's no place for false modesty. No, no, no. I didn't learn it. I got into secrets. the Silmarillion, okay? I got into the Silmarillion. There's, you read a little Elvish when you read the Silmarillion. Do you... Yeah, <laughs> you read a little Elvish. <laughs> Do you dream in English or in, or in French? Um, mostly in English. That's a really interesting question. I used to... 
I would say that when I was up until 17, I was totally bilingual, where when I spoke in French, I thought in French and sometimes dreamed in French. I think now that's I've been living in English centric places for more of my life than I lived in a French centric place. So um, I think I'm a little more anglicized now, but um, I still I still like to keep up with my French and read and write and and you had a, a group in Canada called Poe po Girl. Yep, yep, that was my first serious band. And we were sort of on a long extended hiatus. <laughs> but we always, Anna and I, my bandmate in that band, and I are talking about doing a new record soon. You know, if this whole thing doesn't work out, you know, it's good to have a backup plan. <laughs> I think JT's actually going to produce the next Poe Girl record. Damn right. Yeah. JT, you're from Chicago. Yeah. Allie's background whole runaway thing is so much more rock and roll you never ran away credibility <laughs> even for like uh, a night than my backstory uh it uh it, yeah i was um i grew up in toledo ohio uh was overloved by my loving parents um i mean it was super loved if you will super loved um i mean there's there were times when uh like in the late 80s where like on a number of occasions, I remember that they refused to give me a ride to the mall when I really needed, needed one. <laughs> that can be that can be a tough uh, one. Uh, um, but besides that, it was it was uh, it was a painfully good and loving upbringing, which you know is is rough for a root singer trying to. You can find your own darkness. You know, you have to I, search I found it. for your I own found darkness. It. Uh, JT, when did you start uh, writing music? I didn't. I didn't. I picked up the guitar late, so I picked up the guitar when I was like twenty-seven. Oh wow! So, uh, before that, I was, you know, just sort of writing poems, and then and then and then some, somewhere along the line, I, I started trying to like hammer them into melodies and sing them, and I would sort of do the the very difficult thing of you know. Uh, you know, trying to get somebody to play guitar to sit down and listen. Let me let me sing a melody at them and you know put chords to them and and uh, and and that was what kind of spurred me to. I was like, well, if I'm gonna do this, I gotta I, I gotta be able to bang out a few chords. You also accidentally and unknowingly joined a Grateful Dead cover band. Uh, that's that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> that's a that's that's a podcast. But I did, yeah. That that, that in I Toledo, have that, I have that in my in resume. Toledo, is that I I, yeah. I they, there can't be that many people that. Uh, joined that played in Grateful Dead cover bands without knowing who the Grateful Dead were, but I that 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 is in my it means a good skill to have since <laughs> they seem to have I learned on the quite job. the audience even today. <laughs> I learned on the job. Like every festival we've ever played, there's always like the guy who's like, you "Guys, do any Dead songs?" Yeah, we're like, uh, "Not right now." But <laughs> like eventually, eventually, yeah. <laughs> going down the road feeling bad, we sometimes will try that. Sure. When did you guys meet? We met the first time in Vancouver, BC. I was still sort of, I wasn't really playing out as a musician yet, but my friend Trish Klein that I started Pogro with, um, she had another band called the Big Tanyas that were doing mm. really well around the, the millennium. And um, they became friends with JT because one of them was one of the girls who was in that band was sort of going back and forth between San Francisco and Vancouver and JT was in San Fran at the time. And he and his singing partner, Michelle McGrath, who we adore and who's sung on all our birds records as well. Um, 
they had a they had a duo at the time called the Capital Sunrays, and they came up to Vancouver for the International Folk Alliance, Folk Alliance International when it was at the, the riot at the Hyatt when it was at the Vancouver Hyatt, and I was just sort of tagging along, helping Trish and her band with gear and just you know going room to room and seeing the crazy scene of the Folk Alliance that I had never experienced. Um, as her guest, and I heard JT and Michelle doing a gorilla showcase in the lobby of the Hyatt, and I was really struck by his writing and and singing, and their singing, and um, but I was sort of too shy to talk to him much. But we started soon after that. Trish and I started getting serious about our Poe Girl project, and we started covering one of JT's songs, a tune called "Tell It's Gone," and then we ended up recording it and. By the time we were getting going with Poe Girl around 2003 and four, he was back in Chicago and had started a band called JT in the Clouds. And we traded, he gave us our first show in the US. We opened for, for JT in the Clouds in, in Chicago. Where? And then the old Gunther Murphys in mm. Chicago, it's gone now. Incomparable. That wow. would have been what, 2003, end of 2003? Yep. Beginning of 2004. This is post bongos, yeah. right? Post bongos. He's on bongos. guitar now. He's yeah. right. You know, he's fully fledged writing songs. I brought some his of his own songs. Percussive sensibility to my, <laughs> my acoustic guitar playing. Uh, you have good rhythm. <laughs> rhythm guitar is sort of like a second drummer in a way. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. It's like when you see those bands in New Orleans, uh, there's no drummer. It's just the guy in the back on rhythm guitar just going. Yeah, the the acoustic guitar is kind of like the second drummer who doesn't have any of, in the band who doesn't have any of the mics turned on. The Mickey Hart. Speaking of the Grateful Dead, everything comes back to the Grateful Dead. I heard they never turned this shit on. Is that right? Um, you guys uh, started... How long ago this project for real? This is six years now. Actually, we've just hit a June. It was six years. So, yeah, twenty June twenty twelve is really when yeah. it officially started. So we're yeah six year old band. I'm always curious because I've definitely talked to a few husband wife duos, mm -hmm. like. Because there's always the like, should we? Are we still attracted to each other? Um, <laughs> we can get into that if you want. Um, uh. But the 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 back and forth of should we put the music first or our feelings first right because there's definitely times where people are like oh, I don't want to sleep with the person I'm working with yeah no but then it's, again it's like the 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 connection musically yeah. is so powerful no, that we, it's also we so did personal that for a while and it was it we was, had a torture was where we're trying to just be friends and just absurd. play music and it, 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 yeah <laughs> and you realize the amount of energy, like the whole point, right? You know, the, the amount of energy you're like spending, like working up elaborate reasons why you shouldn't and why you can't, and and, and like, like was more draining than any other other things. So I mean, yeah, I, I, it, it makes a certain sense, like on paper, like in, and I, I think we all know that real musical bonds are maybe even more rare than you know like romantic ones um and so yeah we were more afraid of messing up the yeah, musical we bond we i didn't guess wanna, we didn't want to blow it yeah, up yeah because it's like if something goes wrong yeah. romantically yeah. the that it's going to be too difficult to keep the music real. And you, i mean people people work it out and i and 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 i think you have to be super super uh evolved humans to do that but yeah, um, and I I'd like to think we would have been able to do that, but we were scared of it for sure. Yeah. I think I had a slightly different perspective. I was less afraid of that. I think it's fair to say than you were. I mean, my whole experience of 
with Poe Girl, my bandmate Anna and I dated first and then we broke up and then we were in the band together and it was fine and she's mm. my best friend. Um, she's our best friend. She li- When we all live together now in Nashville, so it's like she's Auntie Anna now. She's become, you know, she's family. The, uh, Americana. Fleetwood Mac situation <laughs> she, going it's on. It's not Fleetwood Mac. She's family, you know, totally. and it's, but I had a faith in that mm. when you have a real connection with someone, you know, even if the relationship doesn't work out, if that musical connection is real and that friendship is real, then that will, um, that will continue. You know, that won't just be, it won't just suddenly disappear because the romance didn't work out. But I think he was a bit more apprehensive around it. And at first you had a thing when we were first dating where you felt like you couldn't date another musician. You thought it was a bad idea and that you had to. Like, girls are crazy. Whereas it's I funny, thought I, a lot of, you could only date another musician when you want to tour as much as we do, yeah. or, or at least another um, someone who's very driven in their own field and gets that kind of obsu- the same level of obsession and compulsion. I mean, mm-hmm. because that's they're dealing with an obsessive compulsive artist. That's true. Right? I was so uh, it's like, I was wrong. Uh, you were wrong. History <laughs> seems to be indicating that a lot of the uh, things I was really sure about in my uh, mid twenties uh, have proven to be uh, wrong, uh, and that is one of them. Growing up. <laughs> Do you feel like uh, when you write a song that's clearly about Allie <laughs> that you have to mask it in some way if it's a little darker than initially, you know, would be palatable or not hurtful to her? You know what? Or, I, or can she I take it? I don't think that I've ever had that specific angst i i and because I, I also i don't know if i've ever had a song that was totally 100 mm. percent about i mean obviously some are like you know about, i should finish my sentence i was i'm becoming my father we always make fun of my father because he literally doesn't finish any sentence and it's gotten more like over the years now it'll just be like the first two words and it'll kind of trail off and he assumes you are just going to finish you it for got him. the gist uh, um, but I'm, I'm not going to do that um, what the hell was I talking about you were talking about the worry of you know if, a, if you've written oh, a song right. about me that's maybe you know I mean harsh you know some sometimes obviously you're 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 dealing with some stuff fairly head-on but um you know, for the purpose of the song, though, it's like you always. I, I feel like almost always you're letting some. There's like some cracks in where 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 other people's other you know experiences and things are, 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 are making their their way in. So um, I know. There, I mean, there's been a couple of times where um, you know I've confronted things that have gone on between us. You know, in a way that I almost didn't do it in a premeditated meditated way. But then when it was like out, I was like, ah. Yeah. That's where that comes from. Because uh, the vulnerability yeah. is yeah. super raw, yeah. Yeah. you know? It's yeah. like, I mean, do you when you write a song, uh, do you play it for her first? I mean, I imagine, Almost always. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. imagine that yeah. would be yeah. happening. And vice versa. I always play my songs for him first. He's my first sounding board. The only person who might get in front now is Ida. She happens to be in the room when... Uh, yeah, Ida's she's actually like, Next. great to play songs for. She's really discerning and really listens to lyrics she's fascinating like she's only four and a half but she's very word oriented already and she'll like dissect things we were you're talking about your experience as a Waldorf kid earlier and Ida's like just started school and she loves it and it's a very loving environment at her school in Nashville and 
we were she's been on a Tom Petty kick. She wants to hear Tom Petty on the way to school every day. And smart girl. She um good, the song Good Love is hard to find and she pipes up from behind her dad, you know, she her little car seat is right behind the driver's seat and why is good love so hard to find? Why is good love so you're trying Deep to questions. Sort of and then explain. I say some dumb yeah. shit. Yeah. Like, I'm like then, hearing myself talking, oh, so stupid right now. Uh, and then there's like this pause and she's like, good love is not hard to find at my school. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> so sweet. Yeah, such a loving environment and, you know. Good school. Yeah, I just thought it was so great. Because she's just applying it to her real life experience, you know. It's, it's, it made me happy. Um, I'm curious where you think you guys will be 10 years from now as creators. I mean, we're just still going to be writing. I think it's the, you know, you, who, it, that's a great problem to have if it ever turns out that a song connects with so many people that they want to hear that all the time. I mean, I can't imagine. I've always v- vowed that if we should ever be so lucky as to have, you know, that kind of a song, um, that kind of, for whatever reason, taps into the collective subconscious. We will never uh, cavil or kvetch about playing it, you know, <laughs> because it's once, it's like five minutes. That's fine. You can play this for five minutes and then play your other stuff that you are currently obsessed with and working on, you know. I imagine we'll just still be writing. And I mean, in 10 years, there are some things I, I would love to do that outside of our working this project, you know, there I've, I have a deep love of musical theater and I've always wanted to be involved in writing musical. So there's that. I actually had a, I actually had a question uh, because the, the opening of your new record, uh, Love and Wartime, um, has this interlude um, that, is it an interlude if it starts an album? A prelude. Uh, a prelude. A prelude. Um, and it has prelude actually. It feels... Um, so it's called Now Sunlight and then going into Never Go Back yeah. with this catchy guitar line. It feels like when I close my eyes and listen to it that it's the opening of an awesome TV show and like on HBO. <laughs> nice, nice. Like, you know, it's like this sort of like opening credits uh, and then going into this like yeah. funky, like someone walking down the street, like having a great time. Yeah, with, I mean, but with something on their mind. I'm curious, yeah. what would the show be that that would open? That's funny. It's funny you said it because uh, I wanted that, that whole album be? in general to sort of feel like it was the soundtrack to a show or a movie that, that didn't super exist. cinematic. Yeah. That, that was that was that was sort of the vibe throughout, and um, we specifically wanted it to feel like you're being jarred out of a, a reverie, you know, and 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 with the way that starts. So that's um, that's that's. I'm, I'm glad you were you were getting all that. Um, but what I, would the show be? I had I, I well, you know, it's funny with, um, and you can tell from what we're wearing on the cover. Like I, I had full on like seventies. Looks like a, like a Cassavetes uh, movie. Yeah, very poster. much so. Yeah, exactly. Uh, imagery in in my in my head uh, uh, the whole time. So um, it's an alternate universe where the Cold War became a full on war. And they are two people who love each other on opposite sides of the line. Wow, that's great. <laughs> okay, your dream cast is. Ooh. I'm seeing Sam Rockwell. Nice, uh, absolutely. And Emily Blunt. Oh, 
Interesting. I'm fully on board with Sam Rockwell. I don't know. I love, I would go Kate Winslet before Emily Blunt. I love Kate Winslet. She can play anything, I think. Um, I love Tilda Swinton. Tilda Swinton. Why not? I love Tilda Swinton. (laughs) She could be like the weird grandmother. She's amazing. She's amazing. In that role? Not in that role, in the movie somewhere. She doesn't have to be that role. Once, it be, once it's turned into a movie from the successful TV show that doesn't Or exist. actually, Lupita Nyong'o. She would be amazing. Can you describe to me the most, like, painfully, <laughs> you know, bummer of a show oh, yes. that you've had recently and what you did to try to psych yourself up before you went on stage? Well, the most comically, I mean, this wasn't recent, but the most comically ridiculous performance experience of our lives was in 2013, right, I would say. Uh, Being invited to, no, you remember this. New Year's Eve, 2012 into 2013. The most, we we, are at the time British agent reached out and said, hey, I got this call from from a resort in Turks and Caicos. They want you to come play New Year's Sign Eve. Sign me up. Dinner. Yeah, I know. You're like, all expenses paid. You need to stay at this ridiculous place and have dinner and all this stuff. And Anyway, it just ended up being um, a bit of false advertisement. We weren't staying at the fancy place. They had us trapped to sort of an hour away where we there was nothing there. And it was sort of infested with noceums. And it wasn't sort of. Sorry, infested was, with what? Noceums. Have you ever experienced noceums? They're tiny little pernicious biting. Oh, like gnats. Oh, yeah, but, what, but they bite. Just imagine that gnats. And like, it turns out that I'm allergic to them. Noceums. I thought they were like small <laughs> possums. Uh, what do they call them down south? It's like sand midge or... Uh, um, I'm not sure. Uh, there, there's something like in, remember, like in the Georgia or, Islands. Like the, okay, the, the so you were, you were covered in, in bugs. Covered from head to toe in welts. I sort of looked like Freddy Krueger, if you remember the Nightmare uh-huh. on Elm Street franchise. Of course he does. <laughs> and, and, uh, and then we were playing this for, I mean, it was the, the point of that resort, I think, was to weed out anyone who made under $5 million a year or something. Like, it was just this absurdly right. exclusive place where people had villas that started at, you know, 20000 a night and private chefs yeah. and things. And um, we... They did not. We were supposed to play for the people that were choosing to have the the dinner at the kind of central restaurant, which is not that many people because everybody had their private chefs, and naturally, um, naturally, as you do in your uber uber rich. And we, they didn't really have a. They, they they were sort of building this kind of rickety platform right on the cliff side, <laughs> and then there was a storm, a tropical storm, and Why the not? waves were crashing over the platform. There was no protection from. <laughs> From the elements. So you're fearing they, for your life. They had asked us to wear white, and then to get to this platform, we had to sort of bushwhack through <laughs> through sort of tropical jungle. And so by the time we got on stage, we were kind of wearing these bedraggled white mud bespattered things. Covered in welts. Covered in bug bites and <laughs> trying, trying to play some songs as the ocean was threatening to wash away our gear. And then it started lightning and sideways rain. Kind of retreat through the <laughs> through the jungle. Back like, through the back path we had cut. <laughs> with our they didn't even give us machetes. Covered uh, in mud. And uh, you got to tell the rest of it. But at least gets, we were in love. It gets more and more surreal. Was, like, I mean, the, the, the thing that I can't emphasize enough is that it was, um, you know, the, the, it was sort of uh, the whole layout was kind of like Buddhist monastery chic, you know, like it was. Uh, it had a very like holodeck vibe. Everything was so it was gorgeous. Like being and, a and 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 but 
because people have their own private villas, there's nobody there. So like, like ghost they're resort. having us be for like four families that are yeah. eating, uh, kind of looking at us a bit confused. Yeah. Uh, like, who are these yeah. muddy, weird people? It's like this, you know, and again, it's like this weird disjunction because there's just like, you know, millions of dollars. And then they like, there's like this like Mackie PA that you, you yeah. know, that you, you had for your band's practice thing in, you know, you know, 2003. Just... Uh, and well, the craziest uh, much they... respect to Mackie. I don't, uh, um, so we, in, like, there was never, like, no manager ever came, but we just, at some point, it's pouring. I'm like, wait, we're done. It's dangerous. Uh, well, there's lightning, so too. So we get, we get ourselves out, like, covered in mud, and like, we find some <laughs> library. We're sitting again. It was, like, like holiday. Like, it was a library. Like, the, the only, we, I, I got to get through this quick, because, uh, so, uh, uh, eventually, they, they feel a little bit bad for us, and the night, they, they've given us a bottle of champagne, and we're sitting by this pool, and um, their other entertainment for the night is they brought in Mary J. Blige. And, and we have no rain cover for her either. Wait, Mary J. Blige? Mary J. Blige. Like, the actually, actual Mary the actual Blige Mary J. Blige. Is, is <laughs> at, at, there's like a sort of <laughs> rickety DJ table set up at the end of a pool. And so at like at midnight, I'm sitting like on a stoop 20 feet away with like a, like, with like a, some sort of wet, like a blanket over my shoulders, a bottle of a paper cup of champagne, watching Mary J. Blige 20 feet away with like 18 uber rich people like in a ring right around her with their phones kind of hovering over her, so... singing to a pre-track. Uh, oh my and, God. And, and then... Um, and it starts pouring again. And then the last little part of the dream, while this is happening, but I'm it's watching real. that. This is actually happening. Out of the my peripheral vision, I feel like there's like a presence coming. Uh, it's a small cloaked figure surrounded by like two or three uh, very tall. Uh, wh- where do you think those models were from? I think they were stunning, like Eritrean albino Eritrean models. Yeah, but a uh, <laughs> little figure in a cloak who just kind of comes by me. And I'm like, oh, there's Prince. Uh, so Prince kind of walks right by us in sight of vision and then kind of disappears on the other side into the, into the, into the night. And uh, and then Mary J. Blige's manager grabs her and, and they disappear and that's a wrap. She plays two and a half songs because uh, it's pouring rain and they have no rain cover for her and she's being swarmed by people. You know, it was just the most bizarre, surreal Sort of, and then they sent us back to our but funny. Uh, workers' quarters uh, an hour away. Uh, and uh, you didn't have to bushwhack through the darkness, uh, though. No, they, they they sent no, but we were in like kind of like it felt like Safari, kind of like 70s Pathfinder uh, style thing. Uh, not I mean Pathfinder, what so it Land Cruiser. Uh, so very strange, yeah. So that happened. The key is to get paid up front, you know. Yeah, I mean, they did pay us, and they did. It's like a mini fire fly festival. Back home. Yes, it was. <laughs> totally. We've had that plenty stands of, out in um, my mind as a pretty um, demoralizing. Uh, just more typically awful gigs, though. Just you know, oh sure, yeah. People don't come. There's ten people in and, the crowd, and you just still you don't punish the people that are there. You still have to. That's I guess what I always. This I guess the most recent like that for us would have been, um, we tried to do a run sort of in the mid south, and we played. Is it Chapel Hill for the first time? Right, that venue is it called the Cat's Cradle? Yes. Yeah. And we'd never been there before. There was really no reason to assume that anyone would come, and in fact, nobody came. 
And so there we were. It, there's just there's something about a, an empty room like that, which is so oppressive to the people that have come. That I felt bad for them being there. You know, and there's just a little handful of them. Like, pro- I mean, literally, I'd get what twelve people. Let's let's say twelve people. Yeah, we, you know, in a room we played there for once, probably about three hundred sixty you know? people at most. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that would have been you know a crowd. I think you're being a little hard. I think we I think we cracked twenty then. Okay. But, maybe there uh, were maybe there were twenty two uh, people. It's about two hundred people there. No, there there may have been twenty two people. I'm serious. I mean, it was it yeah. was bad, and they and I felt so the people that had come. Some of them had driven a long way to get. It was like just people that had randomly gotten into our band, and there they are in this oppressively large empty yeah. room. And there we, and it was just, it was like, he, and it was that we were trying to shop the record. And I think some, one of, you know, some guy from Yep Rock was there. It was just the most Ugh. humiliating yeah. possible set of circumstances. And but this is the thing that's just. You just have to get it up and, and play a good show for the people that yeah. are there because they yeah. don't deserve to be punished because yeah. other people didn't show up. I do. I, I, I like swear at the people that are there. And, no, and you take out. Don't. That's, no, you don't. We just all do but it in different is, ways. It's amazingly, it's hard when, when there's not that, because we're such you know, we all thrive off of the energy of exchange with, you know, you guys are such an interact, you know, loving with your audience. It's very much a a communion and and an exchange. And that's what we all, that's why we all play live music, you know, and it's, so it can be really, yeah, really tough going. You made, he's always great. I think he's very, he's funny and I'm not funny. And so you made some great jokes and kind of let everyone, everyone could just feel like, I always say that like that we're together in this funly adverse situation. If you have twelve people who are super into it and yeah. like you can feel the love in the room, yeah. it can be more powerful than a room of five hundred people who yeah. literally are waiting for you to get off the stage. Right. You know, no, there's the yeah, there's a and truth to that. It's like people ask me, like, what's your favorite venue or your favorite place to play? And I'm like it could be like Frank's garage yeah, if like yeah. the sounds are right and people are like really We're all feeling it. Yeah. It's like, yeah. it's the best. Yeah. I mean, that's the small. Yeah. You're never yeah, going to be the small It's not about the venue. Room. It's about I mean, the communication with the audience. For sure. I, I hope we have this. It'll be a good problem to have, but we talk about this a lot. It's like, man, you know, if there's, you know, 1500 people in a market that want to come see us, it's like, I hope we have the good sense to like, do three nights at a 500 seat venue instead of like taking the one, you know, big theater night. Just because I, it always feels so uh, the, you like that's like the, for me, that's like the cutoff. It's the perfect, you know, a packed room of, you know, three to 500 people. Like there's an energy there that, because you know, right to the back, like they're having the exact same experience that the people, um, yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a hard thing to beat. You, what is your dream? lineup you headlining red rocks you can pick three other bands to play with you right now you gotta say Desperate revival <laughs> no okay Desperate actually revival no no is not allowed you how about dead or alive dead oh you can't even do dead or alive because we gotta do them separately you gotta do okay. a lot you gotta do okay, a lot so live then dead. dead so dead and we get we don't have to headline we'll happily open um how selfless of you the band, obviously. Yeah. All band. dead. But the band when everybody was alive and, you know, still liking each other. <laughs> so, five, about five years there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So the band There's two other acts in us? Or... Let's say let's say you and three acts. Okay. Okay. It's like a whole evening so, of fun. Yeah. So the bands, staple singers. Fully and of course Mavis is singer. totally alive, but when her dad and all every all the you know, all the siblings um, I'm gonna say that I, 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 
I can put in a vote for Bob Marley. Bob Mar- of course, absolutely. I, okay, the, the band Bob Marley, Staples Singers, it's a great and, show. Uh, and then we get to open for them. <laughs> yeah, that would be amazing. That would just be mind blowing. Um, now alive, that's really hard too. I'm gonna have to say Mavis Staples. I know we already said Staples Singers, but it's two different things. Modern day Mavis Staples. Don't you want uh, Esther Awake? Oh, I'm obsessed with Esther Awake. Do you know Esther Awake? She's an amazing Ethiopian singer like i'm just totally obsessed with her singing right now that would be amazing we'll do all women okay. uh dolly parton oh dolly esther Awake. and mavis and mavis staples there it yeah. is it's a very diverse lineup i like it <laughs> and we get to open all right i'm gonna give you i can't believe it's a... i didn't get sam cook in the dead ones like that's too late now yep which one sam cook Oh, I'm Sam Cook. Yeah, what was we what anyway. thinking? Okay. <laughs> I'm going to give you uh, six different words. Okay. And the first thing that comes to your mind, don't even think about it. You're just going to, we're just going to say it. Okay. What? Are each of us each, respond? One by one. Back yeah. and forth. It you can s- be anything? Yes. Both are going to come up with okay. your own ideas. That's the fun of it. Okay. Okay. So I say the word gravity. Free falling. The song? Not the song. Just free falling from a building in your dream. Mm. Bingo wings. <laughs> bingo wings. Tell us about bingo wings. I don't know what they are. Like oh, chicken wings you eat bingo. during bingo? <laughs> it's terrible. Sagging Someone told us that. This, is it was one of yeah. uh, Oh, like when you say bingo? When you, well, no, when you, in your, it's, assuming there's lots of old, old folks uh, playing bingo, this part of your... Your when arms your arms and flap. See, see how much different <laughs> you two are, even though you spend so much time. Really the first thing that popped in my head. Very different. Okay, no, I, listen. I've been running to skinny fat lately. I've been, I've been, I've been. Uh, I got a, I got a pair. Of, uh, you're worried raw, about your bingo wings. I got a pair of raw. Well, you're denim, 68 years old. I got a pair of raw <laughs> denim jeans the other day, and there was like a solid. You know, the first the first week, a pair of raw denim jeans is always a commitment and punishment. But there's like a serious muffin top thing happening that I haven't experienced uh, as a human. Uh, On you? Yeah, it was a rough week. So anyway, that's 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 extra. That's, I'm thinking about that stuff. It's hard to eat healthy on the road. All right, next word. <laughs> Trust. Love. Covenant. Are you thinking about the Mavis Staples song? The love uh, and trust. I wasn't thinking about that one specifically. Maybe I was no, subconsciously. No, I'm Etta James. Trust in me and all you do. That's, oh. that's the best. How's that, how's that go? Trust in me and all you do. Have the faith I have in you. Uh, the the best part of that song is you know I'm people should go listen to it but the way it's written it's it's fairly like almost like you know Hallmark trust in me and all you do have the faith that I have in you uh, we can see it through if only you trust me you know so she's repeating that but the way she sings it you know she doesn't believe it's gonna last and you and you and you feel this like build up of and then she switches it just a little bit by the end where it's like why won't you try you know that's all just do is turn it a little bit and there's so much like uh so much she is amazing the, the emotion and the power in it's her. like that's like the history of soul music and 
like four minutes when she does it. All right, a couple more words. Sexy. Mother. Mother. <laughs> it's a very loaded word. It is a loaded word. I, I, well, I, I, what I was trying to think is the way to come up with that. Feel like I just realized that the word itself, sexy, has become one of the least sexy words, words to me. It's yeah. like, here's my response, defanged. Oh. When I say the word broken. Redemption. Interesting. Compelling. Because it has to be solved or put together or something? Uh, I'm not too much interested in any art that doesn't show some damage. Hmm. All right, last word. It's not a word, it's a phrase. Good night kiss. Golden slumbers. Rare. <laughs> what are you saying? <laughs> You're just like yeah, a little... so tired from our, our job. We, we... I just want a little kiss before bed, honey. <laughs> you fall asleep in the shower and I pass out. What was your first kiss like as a couple? First kiss was great, exciting. I was, um, I sort of had my head up my ass. I was surprised. I didn't realize that. Uh, Did she um, go for it? That she was. That is madly into you. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So um, it was a uh, exciting surprise. Did you uh, think of me as having initiated it? The first kiss. Yeah. Kind of. Okay. It's not. Is that not what you remember? I think I, I think I orchestrated the possibility of it happening, but I think that you initiated it. That's possible. Yeah. Uh, was it in Chicago? I, it was a ridiculous. I was staying at his house, and he was like, "Well, I'll see. You know, you take my room. I'll sleep on the couch." And I did this whole, "No, no, no, you can't. I'm not kicking you out of your bed. That's ridiculous. And you know, you're not sleeping on the couch. I can sleep on the couch." And he's like, no, you can't. You know, this back and forth. And I was like, "Well, you and I, of course, was like, well, we can just share the bed. It's fine. It's that's plenty of room." And he was sort of like. I think that's when it dawned on you that maybe I... Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> maybe I was into you. <laughs> so you're saying we should uh, stay in the same room? <laughs> in the same room. In the same room. Yeah, that's, that's, that's how it went down. I mean, we had been friends for years. We were, clo- we were close. You but know? not friends in proximity. That's, like, we were long-distance friends. Um, and we were long-distance lovers for the first three years. So, you know, we had a tortured long-distance three-year beginning of our relationship and now it's the opposite and now we're constantly in each other's pocket (laughs) can't get away from each other like how do you make like a date night happen Uh, on a long tour it's really difficult we don't have on a monday off night in cleveland you know we're gonna go out to dinner tonight somewhere we're gonna go tonight with venice yeah with our with on a double date with our friends greg and astrid we're excited about that it's our anniversary tomorrow actually our wedding anniversary we've been together almost 12 years but we'll be married five years tomorrow Congrats! Yeah, the wood, the wood anniversary. Four stars. What What is the thing that keeps you sane, traveling two hundred days a year? Exercise. Like, do you run before a show or like? We jog? run. We do yoga. Mm-hmm. We we both run. Um, you we actually have a routine. Do, we each try day? and do yoga wherever we can. Running daily. We stop at. We, that's one of our. That's one of our things. Our obsession with finding a hotel that has like a twenty four hour gym hmm. and. Um, and when Ida's with us, a pool, we always look for ones with a pool because she loves to swim. So when she's been trapped in a car for hours, 
you know, we'll stop somewhere where we can play and splash in the water. Um, I like to do the late night and that's also like finding private time. You know, he likes to do early morning workouts and I like to do late night if we're, um, at a hotel that has a 24 hour gym. What's the sketchiest hotel you've stayed in? Um, I think early on there were a couple of really sketchy super eights. Um, Not so super eights. Yeah. Let's see. Uh, oh, what was that one? There was like a random, it was like like an America's Inn or something like we were in the middle of, like it was near in that part of Oregon where it gets sort of sparse, like when you're past the Rogue River. And it was just, I got really creeped out. He, you, I can't remember what happened. You went to watch a game or something. Like you tried to watch the end of a game somewhere and it was, and I was alone and I just got freaked out. And there were like the angry drunk man following me down. I was trying to do laundry, you mm. know, in the hallway and an angry drunk man was following me and I just got really freaked out and hid in our room. That wasn't in Eugene? Maybe it was, well, it wasn't Eugene, I don't Eugene think. Eugene is like the angry Maybe it was Eugene. It is really bizarre. Like, <laughs> ag- agro, agro hippie capital uh, world. There's some, uh, there's some swirling there's anger some, happening there. There's some, some beautiful, some sweet peace and love. Some young hippie kids that will shank you <laughs> in a minute. Just gotta watch your back. There's lots of sweetness and love, too. But yeah, no, I, I don't think it was Eugene. It was somewhere. It was random. It was like a, you know, like one of those, you're on a 12-hour hike from somewhere to somewhere, and you stop just wherever is the... I did hear that yeah. uh, Oregon was founded as a white supremacist state. There's a lot of that, unfortunately, in, in uh, British Columbia and in northern Idaho. That's one of the things about driving driving through Oregon, yeah. through, through northern California, too. Like, when you're in the mountains, like... I mean, in some ways, it's kind of exciting, you know. Like you'll 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 cruise through one little town, and somehow it's like, you know, it's gentrified the hell out of itself, and there's like high end coffee and just you know, and, and and then and then you go thirty miles through a winding mountain, and then the next town you come to is like, <laughs> oh, 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 all right, roll them up. You know, uh, you know and has that and has that kind of like. Uh, uh, well, like we know immediately because we are. For those of you who don't know who we are and what we look like, we're an interracial couple. I don't believe in race actually, but I'm brown and he is not. And we, sort of pinkish. You know, I, I believe there's one race, human race, but we, Whoa. you know, Heady. call Heady. me crazy, call me crazy, but I think we've mapped the human genome now and we know we're we're all human. But um, but you know, for people that that have problems with uh visible differences we can you know we can set some of those folks off for sure i mean when i think about our marriage was still illegal in some states in 78 it's just it's that's not very long ago you know it's pretty wild we're are, we're both your families very accepting right away his family is amazingly wonderful my family uh the parts that i'm close with were very accepting uh I don't know about the, the people that I no longer speak to, <laughs> and I don't much care. <laughs> uh, we'll never know. We'll never know, and that's okay. Yeah. I mean, there's got to be a point where people realize that love is more important than everything else. You yeah. know. You would think. I hope that. Except for the people that are consumed by hate. <laughs> I don't. They, they have a hard time. Yeah. Uh, wrestling with that idea. Yeah. What does super love mean to you guys? Such a great song title. I think to me it means like that kind of radical love, loving those that are hateful toward you and loving, trying to love 
loving them despite those things and trying to find our common human ground despite what can seem like irreconcilable differences or ideologies. Like I think we are at a crossroads of a breaking down of debate and civil discourse and it's, you know that part of the invisibility anonymity of of our the, the way our technology is advancing so quickly and people can kind of just be in a terrible mood and shoot off what you know whatever it is say some really horrific thing to another person and not really in turn like I, I don't think that's an accurate representation of who we are I don't think people for the most part would ever speak to each other face to face like that yeah they just wouldn't you know and if we there's that it's like that trap of oh we feel so interconnected and so close but it's also putting all of this terrible distance <clears throat> between us at the same time you know can you sing um, or speak the first verse of super love um, tears of rage tears of grief from inglewood to nairobi we need a super love we need a super lover double dutch and hula hoops all our fears and loops and loops we need a super love we need a super lover all right, we're going to do one little exercise and then play a song. All right. And then we'll release you to the wilds of Los Angeles. <laughs> so what we're going to do is we're both going to write the same first line. Okay. First line is, The lawnmower rolled over his foot, but he didn't dare call 911. We're going to see where our minds go. And the timer begins now. I love that you're writing in such large font that you're just like ripping the pages. Like, <laughs> I feel like uh, when I used to be in fiction classes, it's that first line that's the hardest. Right. And then all of a sudden this faucet is opened. And who knows, maybe these will become a song at some point. Who wants to go first? You go first, babe. Okay. Uh, the lawnmower rolled over his foot, but he didn't dare call 911. He watched the rhythmic leaps of his blood arc before his eyes, catch the sun, and dive down, just as grace graceful as he could have hoped. He watched the sun dazzle up the beads on his Dr. Pepper too and hurl itself against the aluminum siding. He loved the sun. He eased himself down into the grass from his John Deere. Chris Bryant is on deck for the Cubs. Hey, Chicago. What do you say? This is so poetic. As a lifelong diehard White Sox fan, I'm deeply offended. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, <clears throat> mine is much less poetic. Poetic. Yeah. Uh, the lawnmower rolled over his foot, but he didn't dare call 911. There were four children, one teenager, and three adults hiding in his attic right now, depending on his discretion. His extreme unremarkableness had allowed him and them to go this long undetected. He took off his shirt and tied it tightly around his arch to slow the bleeding and limped back to the house. None of his neighbors could ever imagine mild Mr. Jeffries having the courage to defy the authority and hide illegals from the Roundup program. Appearances are almost always deceiving. I took a little turn there. Took a little turn. Who's Mr. Jeffries? He's Mr. Jeffries. <laughs> It's good exercise, Z. Okay, should we play a song? Sure. Live from the closet, 
This is a song called Super Love by the wonderful duo Birds of Chicago. the birds of chicago this is the show on the road guys thanks so much for uh, playing your music and sharing your stories with me it's awesome a, pleasure. a lot of fun man us. thank you
Thanks to Allie and JT of Birds of Chicago for talking with me. Their latest is called Love and Wartime on Signature Sounds. I got it on vinyl a few months ago in the mail. It sounds pretty dreamy. You can find out their tour dates at birdsofchicago.com. I saw that they're coming to the West Coast soon, but I'm not going to be here, which makes me sad. You can go to thebluegrasssituation.com for more on Birds of Chicago, like their episode of Hanging and Sangin' with Kelly McCartney live at Hillbilly Central in Nashville. The show on the road is hosted by me, Zach Lupiton, and produced by the handsome Hawaiian Chris Jacobs with support from the Bluegrass Situation team. Big thanks to our fancy first sponsor, Nomad. Remember, go to hellonomad.com slash BGS to receive 15% off of their cases, cords, and battery packs till the end of January. Believe me, you need these things to stay alive. If you love the show on the road, please leave us a review or rating over at iTunes.com slash show on the road. Tell your friends, and also be sure to check out BGS's ever-growing collection of podcasts up right now on the bluegrasssituation.com. The show on the road is a part of the BGS Podcast Network. This is Zach Lubiton. See you on the trail. The number you have reached is 100.7 WMMS. It wasn't just a radio station, it was a lifestyle. Cleveland is, is a rock and roll city for sure. Get down! The Wrath of the Buzzer. WMMS. Cleveland. The rise and fall of one of the most iconic radio stations in America. Profiles, The Wrath of the Buzzard, P-R-O-H Files. Subscribe now wherever you get podcasts.